Good morning. Good morning to those online. I didn't get to say good morning earlier. God bless you. We're glad you're here with us. And I'm so glad all of you are here. What a blessing. The snow didn't keep you away. I love it. Y'all just like the mailman. The snow, the sleet, the rain, y'all show on up. Thank you. We're glad you're here. Glory be to God. I am really excited about this particular series, The Way of the Cross. And the music that was played this morning, oh, it touched me in deep and powerful ways. So thank you. Thank you to your ensemble and thank you for the great music that you chose. And let us go now to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for your blessings and your love. We are so grateful for all you are and what you have done for us. You woke us up this morning and started us on our way. You clothed us in our right mind and brought us safely to this appointed place. We submit ourselves to you, O oh God. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. You are the potter, we are the clay. Make us and mold us after your will. Prepare us for your work today. And now, O oh Lord, let your Holy Spirit speak through me. Please offer a word of grace, love, and hope for us, your people. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen? The title of my particular part of this series is Jesus Sees the Cross. Now, here in this scripture, Jesus begins to teach the disciples. Now, this is the first time that Jesus will predict his death and his resurrection. And Jesus does not go behind closed doors to have this conversation, but he's speaking quite openly about this. Jesus says he's going to suffer greatly and be rejected by the political powers of the Jewish people. You see, the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes Jesus was speaking of together make up what they called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the supreme council and the tribunal of the Jews during these times. And it was headed by the high priest and having religious, civil, and criminal jurisdiction. See, that, that, that was a high court there. And he says, and I'm going to be rejected by them. See, Jesus knew the work he was called to do. He knew that it had major implications and would lead to his death. Not only was he challenging the political system, but he was challenging the religious, the civil, and the legal system of his own people. Jesus the Christ, the Son of Man, was going to have trouble on every hand and in every direction. Thus Peter, no doubt, well-meaning, you know those well-meaning people, they, they, they love you. So Peter loved Jesus and he was well-meaning, and so he pulled Jesus to the side and began to rebuke or 
criticized Jesus harshly. Now, we don't know what Peter actually said. The Bible does not tell us. But we know that it was not received well by Jesus. See, Peter, as he often did, he overstepped his bounds. Peter had forgotten his place and tried to scold Jesus. Now, it seems for, that Peter forgot his role as student and Jesus' role as teacher or rabbi. So you just didn't roll up on the rabbi and start talking crazy. Now, you may do that to me and the white, but you don't do it to Jesus. <laughs> this overzealous disciple may have thought he was looking out for Jesus' best interest. See, protecting his beloved teacher. But regardless of his motives, Peter was missing the big picture. He could only see the immediate, the moment, the then and now. See, Peter wasn't focused on eternity. He could only see in the limited human terms, not in the expanded terms of God. See, Jesus, being a, a bit perturbed, to say the least, turns to his disciple and openly rebukes Peter. But Jesus doesn't pull him to the side. He calls him out right there in front of all the disciples and for all the world to see, and he rebukes Peter. Now, I was intrigued by this word, rebuke, because Jesus rebukes Satan on a regular. So, I wanted to know more about the etymology of this word. Where did this word come from? See, the root comes from an old French word for rebuke. And it means to hack down or beat down or beat back. See, a rebuke then is meant to be critical and to chastise. In today's terms, a rebuke is a verbal smack down. See, it's a diss with a fist, <laughs> but it's a verbal fist. See, Jesus knew he wasn't wrestling against Peter, against flesh and blood, but the adversary was trying to use Peter to distract Jesus from his mission. Satan was trying to appeal to Jesus' humanness, to Jesus' love for his disciples, and tempt him into denying his destiny. Now, we thought the devil should have got enough out in the wilderness, but obviously he didn't. He thought he'd try one more time. Maybe Jesus had a, a flashback to this wilderness experience where the enemy tried to tempt him with the, the lust of the flesh and the power and the wealth. And now, here the enemy raises his ugly head through the words of this beloved disciple. Now, the thing about Peter was, just a few minutes before all of this, when Jesus asked him, who do you say I am? Peter said, oh, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus said, yeah, you're right, you got that. 
And, and you didn't learn that through flesh and blood. That didn't come through your flesh and blood. That came through God. One for Peter. And the next time, uh, you know, Peter had something to say, it's like, all right, Peter, you got it going on. That's good. But it might have got Peter being a little cocky because the next thing was a smackdown. See, the Bible doesn't tell us what Peter said, but we know it was not a heavenly view. It didn't come from God, but it was a worldly human perspective. See, there are many things happening to distract us today. There's so much going on. Issues of our church and, and division and, and wars and rumors of wars and COVID. And I mean, it, the hits just keep on coming. Our heart goes out to the Ukraine because those people were minding their own business and oops, come Satan. And now they're in the middle of a horrible war. Things to distract us. But I want you to understand this, regardless of what Putin does, regardless of what happens in the General Church Conference, regardless, we got to stay on mission. We can't get distracted by the events of this world. We have to do just like Jesus. Jesus said, Satan, get behind me. I got work to do. I got to stay on mission. Y'all, our mission doesn't change just because events are happening in this world. We got to stay on mission. People need us more than ever. People need Jesus more than ever when all this foolishness is going on in the world. We got to be on point. We got to be on post. We have to do the work that God has called us to do. And one of the things that I admired and, and I looked at as I was reading these scriptures, Jesus knew why he had come. And he knew the work he was called to do. He wasn't, uh, every time something happened over here, over there, pull, pull, pull. Jesus knew, and he was clear on what he would have to do to be the Messiah. Y'all, we got to stay clear. We got to know that we know what we need to do to be the church in this dying world. We got to know that we know. We got to be clear. Oh, hallelujah. Now, unfortunately, his disciples were not clear. They did not understand, despite all the miracles Jesus had done and the time that they had trained and were under Jesus' teachings, they still did not know his true destiny. This is the first time that Jesus predicts his death and, and his resurrection. Now, Peter, like any one of us, doesn't want to hear this message. It doesn't make sense to him. It was not his plan for salvation. This wasn't what the Messiah was supposed to do. 
show up and then die? What? There's a problem. And Peter was, he was just confused. See, it wasn't what he was expecting. So the student tries to school the teacher and gets a full beat down in front of everybody. Uh, young people, that's what happened when you try to school your parents. Pop, pop, beat down, rebuked, and scorned right there. <laughs> Woo. See, the disciples, despite being close to Jesus, and being right there with them, in close proximity, they were far from God in their thinking. Here in Mark 8, Jesus feeds 4,000. Later, he feeds the multitude. And each time, there was more and more and more left, more than enough. Each time, there were baskets of leftovers. Each time a need arose, Jesus stepped to the plate. But also, each time a need arose, the disciples, just like most of us, were sitting around wondering, oh, Lord, how are we going to feed all these people? Oh, Lord, how are we going to do this work? Oh, Lord, how are we going to get... What? You have seen what Jesus can do. But they never stopped to say, Jesus did it once, he can do it again. Y'all, stop wringing your hands and hollering, oh, Lord. Jesus and, and God and, and the Holy Spirit has been taking care of this church for all these many years. Guess what? Going to keep on doing what they've been doing. Hallelujah. Going to keep on doing the work of God just like they've been doing. We just got to... Submit ourselves and pray and believe that God of, of Jesus doing the, the, the Father, the Holy Spirit, is the very self-same Holy Spirit, the very self-same God, the very self-same Jesus that we read about in this book. A Jesus that provides for God's people. And despite all the miracles Jesus performed, the, the Pharisees still ask for a sign from heaven. Give us a sign from heaven. They wanted Jesus to rain down fire like Elijah or do something dramatic, you know, roll back the skies. Do something, Jesus. The Pharisees tempted Jesus to do miracles just as Satan had tempted him in the wilderness. And Jesus was appalled. And I'm sure he was a bit saddened by their unbelief. Jesus was not going to provide signs for these hard-hearted folks who were just looking for something to uh, hold against him anyway. Jesus knew signs and wonders was not going to make people believe, so no sign was given. Jesus warned against the leaven of the Pharisees, just like when we make a sourdough. You know, we've been making a whole lot of sourdough lately. <laughs> A little pinch of that dough from the batch, from the last batch, is saved to start the next batch. And this was the same way that sin was explained. We often hold a little pinch of the old way of thinking, the old way of being, and that little pinch 
gets into our thoughts and into our emotions and into our hearts and then starts to uh, brew a whole batch of new problems, causing other things to rise up and puff up and become their own uh, big problem. So was the leaven of the Pharisees. It was amazing how a little bit of hate goes such a long way. How a little bit of dishonesty can taint a person's whole integrity. How a little bit of indifference can allow tyranny to rule over God's people. How a little bit of pride and self-centeredness and hunger for power can cause a country to invade another unprovoked. In the words of Gidry, a little sin can corrupt a large amount. Jesus was warning against the evils of the Pharisees and, and Herod to see the kingdom of the Messiah. See, according to Gidry, both Herod and the Pharisees idealized the kingdom as a domineering power and authority. Herod saw it as political power and authority, and the Pharisees saw it as more spiritual power and authority, uh, both. Regardless of which side they were on, they still saw the kingdom in a high-minded way. Even the disciples did not understand, so in a little while, Jesus would explain the entire plan. Jesus had made the blind man to see he was going to heal the disciples of their spiritual blindness. See, some people are looking for a spiritual Messiah. Some are looking for a political Messiah. Some wanted Messiah to overthrow the corrupt rulers of their day. And others wanted the church to be reformed and, and be more inclusive. See, it sounds so much like us today. So for those seeking the Messiah, the anointed one, they were in search of the ideal king, the anointed and empowered by God to deliver people and establish his righteous kingdom. But this was the way of the world, not the way of God. Jesus, being a scholar of the Torah, knew the only way from earth to heaven was by the way of the cross. He knew it was predicted by the prophet Isaiah that his prophecy had to be fulfilled. So here Jesus reveals his plan. Our scripture today is Jesus' master plan to suffer, die, and rise again. See, they were looking for the Messiah to come in strength and in might. They were looking for a hero, not a zero. So this talk of being rejected and executed was a no-no. It did not fit the vision of their Messiah. But I believe when Jesus saw the cross, he did not just see a cruel lynching tree. He did not just see a form of torture for hardened criminals, murderers, and thieves. I believe when Jesus saw the cross, he saw you and me. He saw a hopeless generation of people who needed a savior. See, Jesus looked beyond the moment and caught a glimpse of eternity. He saw our possibilities and said, 
they are worth saving. This is where our sin, Jesus' death, and God's abiding love intersected. In God's great wisdom and love, Jesus, the Messiah, was sent to shed his blood to suffer and die for you and I, to buy our liberty, to restore us to our rightful place in God and show us God's unfailing love. When I was discussing this sermon with my friend and sister Kelly Goss, Kelly said, I believe when Jesus saw the cross, he saw a doorway to heaven. He saw his only way home. Today, I hope each of us will see the cross as a doorway to heaven and Jesus, the Christ, as our way home. Because Jesus is calling. The Bible says he turned to his disciples and said, deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow me. According to Wessel, cross-bearing does not refer to some irritation in life. Rather, it involves the way of the cross the picture of a man already condemned, required to carry his cross on the way to the place of his execution, as Jesus was required to do. Worsby uh, determines denying self is not the same as self-denial. We practice self-denial for a good purpose, or we occasionally give up things or activities, just like we're doing here during this time of Lent. But to deny ourselves is when we surrender ourselves to Christ and determine to obey his will. Denying ourselves means putting other people before our own desires. Jesus did this perfectly. Jesus did the will of his heavenly parent despite his own aspirations or his own fears or his own desires. So if we are to follow Christ, we are to die to the things of this world and be resurrected with Christ as new creatures. So I say, deny yourself and follow Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Amen.